I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. As the business world adapts and redefines the idea of the workplace during this time of change, our ongoing study of the office sector takes us overseas. On this episode, we dive into agility, featuring the perspective of a venerated global banking concern and a pair of occupier specialists at the forefront of flexible space. Our footprint is going to be much more about connection, collaboration, collisions, etc. And it's going to be less about transactions. That's Dennis McGowan in Singapore. Dennis is the global head of real estate for Standard Chartered Bank, a UK-based multinational with some 85,000 employees, approximately 800 branches, and a focus on Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. I think the companies are more and more either awakening or embedding the concept of you know, flexibility to the real estate strategies. And that's Manish Kashyap, who also joins us from Singapore. As the global head of advisory and transaction services, Agile, Manish leads CBRE's agility practice for clients in the Asia-Pacific region and around the world. And for deeper insights into what makes tenants tick, we hop back across the international dateline to Boston, Massachusetts with Julie Whalen. We asked what type of culture do you aspire to as an organization? And an overwhelming majority of them, like I'm talking in the 80% range, said we want a more hybrid workplace. Julie is CBRE's global head of occupier research, and her work has been steeped in this topic for the past year. Do we call it agile or flex? Hybrid, perhaps. We'll try to get to the bottom of that question and a whole lot more. Coming up, a flexible view on the office of tomorrow, a future that may be closer than you think. That's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take. And this week, we have a truly global show today to talk about real estate, what's happening today in Singapore, Boston, and where I'm sitting today in Chicago. So, Dennis, let's get right down to it. How has the pandemic changed your view, Standard Charter's view of the use of office real estate? Yeah, look, we, we've been quite public uh, as a bank that we're, we're going to see a reduction in our office print footprint of somewhere between 30 and 50 percent globally. Uh, and, and that's partly because we've done a, a very active program with our staff around where would you like to work and, and when would you like to work? So far, uh, in the last 12 months, we've uh, reached out to 85,000 people in the bank. And overwhelmingly, what we found is they want flexibility. Uh, so in the first phase, which is nine markets across our footprint, we've had 50,000 people come back and say that uh, they would like to work two to three days a week, either at home or in the office. Uh, and fundamentally, that's going to change the footprint of, of the offices that we work in today. And our, our footprint is going to be much more about connection, collaboration, collisions, etc. And it's going to be less about transactions. I don't think people are going to come back to sit for seven hours a day at a desk or to sit for seven hours a day at a VC or a, or a terminal doing exactly what we're doing today on a VC. So Manish, is what Dennis is describing, is that consistent uh, with what we're seeing with other financial institutions like Standard Charter? Uh, absolutely, Spence. Uh, we are uh, hearing this more and more from our clients uh, and uh, you know, something that I probably started with uh, when you asked about how we're doing in Singapore. It's more of the people within our client groups are talking about working from uh, everywhere rather than working from a point uh, or one particular office. Uh, I think the companies are more and more either awakening or embedding the concept of, 
uh, you know, flexibility into the real estate strategies. Uh, and I think uh, it's fair to say, and I think you guys in the U.S. are seeing it perhaps the most, uh, is there's a real war for talent right now. Uh, and providing challenge, uh, choice uh, to the employees is really very high on the list for, for employers. Well, I find that a very interesting um, concept of choice uh, to make employees happier. And I think we can't put all employees in the same category. And a lot of it depends upon their age, their life stage, um, and maybe uh, the market. So, Julie, let's go, uh, let's go to the data. Let's go to the videotape. Uh, what is the data saying? What is the survey saying? Is it consistent with what Dennis and Manish are suggesting, going uh, significantly towards more of a, a smaller footprint, hybrid type of approach? Absolutely. So, well, it's funny you just said hybrid because I believe that Dennis and Manish both gave us their comments and never once said hybrid. And I'm, I'm starting to push back on this term hybrid because I think cars are hybrid, but people are flexible. Um, so, yes, I will absolutely say that our surveys are telling us and have been telling us over the last year that the world is moving to a more flexible place in terms of the way that employees engage with the workplace. We surveyed in June of 2020, we surveyed in September of 2020, and now we most recently have surveyed. And we asked what type of culture do you aspire to as an organization? And these are real estate decision makers that we were asking in the future in a steady state. And an overwhelming majority of them, like I'm talking in the 80% range, said we want a more hybrid workplace, but the nuance is, is that we offered them two options with hybrid. One is hybrid with company guidance, and the other was hybrid where employees have total freedom to choose. And what we found is that nearly everybody chose that hybrid with company guidance, meaning that there are going to be some degree of guardrails put in place where employees understand how to operate in the flexible world that their employers are, are placing out there for them. Nearly none said fully in the office, nearly none said fully remote. All of them really were in that sweet spot. And what was really interesting is if you look at June to September to April results, it was an upward curve in terms of the conviction that our survey respondents had in terms of that answer. So it was maybe in the 60% range of people saying that back in June. In, in April, it was up in the 80% range. So if anything, that sentiment has gotten stronger versus some other sentiment in the survey that has gotten weaker, which we can certainly talk about. Well, Julie, you know, you know that you and I have debated that point ad nauseum on this podcast about how noisy the survey data is, but it's good to hear that we're getting to a level of certainty uh, or a consensus uh, among many, because I think it's that uncertainty that, that uh, forces people not to act. But Dennis, let's go back to a point that Julie mentioned a moment ago. Uh, she used the term guardrails. And are you putting any sets of rules around when and where employees come to the office? First and foremost, we're a bank. Uh, and, and as a bank, we deal with client data. So therefore, there are certain roles and certain activities in the bank where once we get through the pandemic, hopefully, people on what we call private side will not be allowed to work away from the office uh, other than occasional use because they're dealing with client information. So we have to divide our population into what we call public side and private side. And there's some restricted uh, people that sit sort of above there. Um, so, so there will be two types um, going forward. But I, th I think um, what we're finding is that we're going to give as much flexibility for everybody around the time they work. 
uh, within the office. Location is going to be challenging for certain activities, but people can choose how much time they spend at work going forward as part of our programs. We want to give everybody flexibility, but we have to be restricted in, in terms of what they can do. Um, we're introducing what we call near home, uh, a stroke near client, and that's really a space that sits between the home and the office. And it's really about a location that you can use occasionally, and that's maybe to, to, to manage long commutes or maybe to manage poor infrastructure at home or multi-generational families as we do have so many in, in Asia. Uh, it's really a sort of a, a, a space of relief that you can go to. And I think that's uh, a number of people prefer to work from anywhere. I've not seen as much take up in the work from anywhere space uh, over the last 12 months because as a bank, we've been trying to control people either to work from home or to work from the office. This will introduce another opportunity, but again, for certain activities in the bank. So, What are you seeing, Manish? Are you seeing these people more in the flex space or are you seeing some true corporate offices moving out into these halfway locations between the house and the main corporate office? Yeah, um, Spencer, it's, it's a really interesting question. And I think uh, what's, what we are seeing is, uh, and as, as Dennis alluded to this, uh, you know, there's really a, a lot of cultural nuance to this too. You know, so what we might be seeing in Hyderabad might be very different from what we might be seeing in London or what we are seeing uh, in some of the Asian markets looks very different. Uh, and the second thing I would say is also uh, industry type. Uh, I think what banks might be going through because of compliance and you know how they handle data is very different from what we might be seeing some of the more consumer-facing companies, uh, you know, with large sales organizations dealing with. I must caveat with whatever I'm saying uh, to say that you know things are just beginning to open up in most parts of the world, and so the data is uh, in- inconsistent at this point. But what one of the trends we are seeing is that companies with large consumer-facing uh, businesses. Uh, their sales organizations are beginning to establish more uh, locations within flex operators. So they're happy to sort of, you know, sign up with uh, the industries of the WeWorks or the Regis's of the world. Uh, so that's one trend. Uh, the second is companies or, or banks that have uh, a lot of data to handle or need to be careful with client confidentiality, etc., are beginning to have conversations with us around establishing some of their own offices. Uh, and these might be uh, in the WeWorks of the place, but heavily controlled uh, in terms of you know how they're used within those networks. So uh, I, I think the trend around uh, companies looking for more branded space or their own signboard on the space uh, will increase uh, over the coming months. Uh, and we're beginning to see uh, a lot of those conversations take place. And, and, and again, let me repeat myself, uh, those might end up being uh, you know, in traditional space or uh, signing up with one of these operators, uh, but more controlled space. I, I really like the way you framed it because you use the word controlled space. You use the word brand. You use the word uh, privacy. And, and Dennis certainly was very specific about that uh, with respect to his private bankers. Can you expand on that answer a little bit, Manish? And talk a little bit about how privacy and security is ranking in the decision making of our clients around Agile. I think it's fair to say that pre-pandemic, uh, that was probably the number one concern for banks and many other companies uh, as they made decisions around agile environments. Uh, I think what's really happened in the last 12 months is uh, companies have been forced to figure it out. Uh, you know, and that has become an accelerated learning process for these companies. Uh, and for the most part, they have figured out uh, how their employees have worked from home, uh, how they have worked from agile environments uh, with 
the constraints uh, that all these companies have in place from a data uh, security and privacy standpoint. So I think going forward, Spence, uh, I don't think these challenges or these concerns will ever go away. Uh, but I think companies feel a whole lot more in control of this issue than they did 12 months back. I think there's nuance here as it relates to really two aspects. One is with respect to the customer, but the other is the employee themselves. Because I've heard concerns that the quote-unquote Internet of Things uh, impedes on their employees' privacy of knowing when they're sitting at the desk. And, and maybe it's a little bit too efficient. Uh, Julie, do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting dialogue because one of the things that is really rising up um, the technology agenda in terms of occupiers is sensor technology because sensor technology is going to really allow us to understand how efficiently our building is being used. You know, we sort of have moved past the um, sort of software where we kind of put butts into seats and as long as we have a name associated with a seat, we call it efficient because it's occupied. The reality is now we want to understand when people are physically in a building, when they're physically at their seat, when they're physically using conference rooms as a 10-person conference room only being used most of the time for two people, all those things that really allow us to diagnose our space and how healthily it's being used. Um, but what that means is that there is a certain amount of privacy that our employees are given up, right? There's a little bit of a big brother kind of mentality to that. And I think that we have to look at our own personal lives and how we, you know, offer up our, you know, sharing of our own data when it comes to all of the products that we use. And usually we will do that when we are getting something in return. We are getting something that is fruitful to us. That's what we need to figure out in the corporate environment, in the built environment, is if we are going to ask for an element of privacy to be given up by our employees, we have to make sure that we're giving them something back in return for that. Dennis, how does Standard Charter approach these issues with respect to your employees? Well, so, so there are a number of buildings where we have sensors or card access control where we count people. But typically what we've tried to do is just anonymize it. Um, because we're moving away from a person to a desk or a name to a desk, all of our spaces are becoming what we call activity-based working. So anyone can sit anywhere. So the the recording of the data is, is now anonymized. So people can't tell who was there. And we're publicizing this data. So we're making this data very visible to the staff. Because what we want to do is there's an opportunity here for us to cost control. We can help them manage their expenses, their costs, through actually presenting data back to them. But also we can help them from a sustainability angle to to understand what we're doing well and what we're doing badly and and how we can course correct. Our view is if you've got the data, make it visible and and don't be be shameless about it. Just make sure that people see why you're collecting it and show them what you're doing as a result of collecting it. Dennis, I want to go back to your footprint uh, as being one of the largest banks in the world. You're in Singapore, headquartered in London, offices uh, and bank branches uh, in EMEA, uh, including uh, in Africa. How do you maintain the consistency of culture in such a diverse geography of assets, different countries, different cultures, etc.? How do we do it? We have a document called SC Foundations. And SC Foundations is effectively a playbook on how we look at and design and develop space, as well as how we service space. And this is a a document that was refreshed uh, last year, but it was refreshed on the back of uh, what we call an internal hackathon. And this is where we brought a number of our internal clients, psychologists, architects, etc. together, and we helped 
design what we think the future office is going to be in a, in a playbook. And nobody's ever designed for a post-COVID world. Um, so we've had to co-create that with our customers. And that's what the 13-week hackathon was. So the intention of that, as well as our branch standards, is to ensure that we have a degree of consistency. But, but clearly, with uh, limited investment dollars, uh, like every other bank, uh, you know, we have multi-generations of fit-out in our offices as well as our branches. Um, but the one thing that we try to make sure that is consistent through all of those fit-outs is the bank's colour scheme, uh, the bank's artwork programme, ideally, uh, and the bank's branding. So at least the consistency of the theme of Africa, Middle East and Asia runs through all our branches, through, through our offices. Our artwork programme runs through that. The branches may feel different, but culturally they feel the same because of the ethos of, of bringing the bank's footprint into our spaces. Yeah, I, I think, Spence, uh, again, um, uh, very relevant uh, with what's going on with our clients right now. So let me try and break this down. I think uh, when we advise our clients uh, or when we're looking at partnering with them, uh, you know, we're looking at their business uh, in totality uh, or as a whole and, and not just the real estate part of it, you know, because as Dennis alluded to, there's, you know, culture, there's, you know, all sorts of other things that you need to take into account. Um, and I think what we are trying to do is help our clients uh, navigate change, you know, through this process. Uh, and there are all these questions around how fluid uh, are there, you know, or should we be in, in positioning their assets? Uh, can we make the terms more flexible? Uh, all these questions involve uh, us getting embedded in their culture uh, and their success frameworks. Uh, but I think the one thing that I must emphasize on uh, is uh, I think the pandemic has triggered a necessary adaption that was anyway starting to happen. I think a lot of us are forgetting that even pre-pandemic, you know, there were these noises bubbling up around agility and the need for the new generation to work differently, et cetera. I think what the pandemic has done is, has really put the spotlight on it and accelerated that conversation. We talk about changes and I uh, actually pulled up on uh, Spotify uh, the lyrics to David Bowie's song, Changes. And the first line is, I still don't know what I was looking for. And I, I think that that's kind of where we're at right now. Julie, would you agree that using changes as the uh, word um, of choice, that's the key here is change management, not just hybrid flexibility, agility, or otherwise? What do you think? I mean, without a doubt, I think it's very easy, as we always talk about with these surveys, to kind of fill in a bubble and say, yes, we're moving towards a more hybrid environment with company guardrails. Well, then when you press and you say, well, what do those company guardrails mean? And how are you going to determine what those guardrails are for person A versus person Z? And all of a sudden, it gets really complex really, really fast. Here in the United States, at least, we are in June and we are on the precipice of a very fast return to office. We know that Q3 and Q4 are going to tell us a lot about what our new normal of office occupancy is going to look like. I'm not presuming that we are going to fully get there to sort of pre-pandemic levels by the end of the year, but we are going to be markedly above where we are today. And what that means is we are finally going to enter a territory where we can learn so many of the lessons that we have been speculating about for the last nine months as we have been preparing to re-enter the world's workplaces, right? At that point is when HR 
real estate, IT, legal can all start to take in these use cases about all the questions that are going to come up and all the feedback that is going to be given about the new policies that are being put in place. And they are going to have to continually have a feedback loop where they are able to course correct along the way because nobody is going to get it right. When I scan the media, as I often do every day, trying to understand what different companies are saying in this space, I have started to bucket two types of organizations in my head. One are hybrid-friendly organizations. Hybrid-friendly organizations are organizations that are putting media statements out into the public that make it clear that their intention going forward is to offer their employees more flexibility. Yet, they do not have a distinct and clear way of how they are actually going to offer that flexibility to their employees. Then you have hybrid forward companies, which do tend to be some of the tech companies that have lived in this space for longer. And in many cases, they actually have public employee blogs where they have very clearly spelled out how their employees are to operate in this new hybrid world post-pandemic in terms of when they're expected to be in the office, when they're expected to be at home, and how they can make decisions as to the type of flexibility that they are able to introduce into their job function. Obviously, the hybrid-friendly organizations are going to learn from the hybrid forward organizations and eventually catch up to them. But it's really interesting when you scan the media and really start to think about those two buckets of organizations. Spencer, can I maybe just add to that? Because I think Julie hit on a number of things there. I think um, this whole principle of changes is, is going to be really evident going forward. I think we're going to get into a stage where we're going to, the office of the future is going to start feeling, and the branch of the future is going to start feeling like theatre sets. We're going to need to, to change the environment day in, day out to accommodate the activity that's going to happen that particular day. So if you imagine a theatre set where it's ever-changing, ever-mobile, the level of service that we have to deliver to that space has to increase multifold just to be able to accommodate the changing needs. And if I give you an example, prior to COVID, we designed 80% of our space transactional and about 20% collaboration. Uh, going forward, uh, we believe that's more like 50-50, if not 60-40. We believe that... Our, our transactional space will shrink and our collaboration space will increase. And not only will be, we have collaboration, we will introduce collaboration, connection spaces, rejuvenation spaces and social spaces. So the, the, the footprint of the office is going to change. And I think what we're going to see more of is the creation and the curation of experience centres. We're going to have a lot more um, uh, transient activity because going forward, everybody coming to our offices is going to be a visitor. Let me give you an example. I mean, that you can take these um, transients or the theater set uh, example to the extreme. And I'm seeing it now where we are seeing some clients that have outdoor space with mobile conference rooms, literally mobile conference rooms on wheels. And why do they do that? They don't just do it because it's cool to, to ride around in the conference room. They do it so that during the day they can have these outdoor conference rooms. But in the evening when they want to activate the space for a show or some other activity, they can move the conference rooms off there and have the common areas. Is, is that the kind of flexibility you think is going to be more common, uh, Dennis? Absolutely. Certainly flexibility within the space, within the four walls. But I think based on the outcomes of COVID, we're going to start people wanting to use some of those more external spaces more frequently. You know, things like amphitheater spaces, you know, town halls will be done outside, many more social gatherings so that people get better separation. So I, th I think 
I imagine everywhere's a theatre set because everything's going to be moved in and moved out based on the activity, including the people. All the world is a stage. Was that Shakespeare or am I like now yeah. mixing my metaphors? <laughs> Let's veer into retail for just a moment uh, and talk about branch banking itself, uh, about the future of that. Um, maybe part of it is real estate related with respect to making it a movie set versus a fixed uh, asset. How do you see branch banking going forward uh, with so much disruption, so much uh, stuff being done on the internet and elsewhere? I kind of alluded to it earlier on where I talk about branches become experience centers in the future. Uh, that, that's partly to do with the, the pandemic, but it's, it's more to do with the fact that people have gone digital. So pre, pre-pandemic, we found that uh, a lot of our clients were moving from visiting branches and, and, and dealing with cash to, to online payments and to dealing via the mobile phones. Um, what we've seen with the pandemic is it's accelerated. So we, you know, we had 30 to 50% uh, digital use prior to the, the pandemic. Uh, where we are now is as a result of the pandemic, we've probably got about 80 plus percent digital usage. 80% of the activities that you used to go into a physical branch to do, you now can do on a mobile device. Now, clearly, as a bank, you know, in, in 63 markets around the world, we've got differing degrees of technology uh, infrastructure. You know, in Africa, we're still dealing with actively via the mobile phone, whereas in China, it's all very digital and we've hardly got any cash in branches. So we have you know, differing ends. But what we're finding is that the, the physical space is less and less required for banking purposes. And I think what we're going to start seeing is a bit like the corporate office. The banking space is going to become a multi-purpose space. It's going to become an experience center in the future. It's going to be a place where you go to be educated on this technology. It's a place where you go to connect with your, your relationship managers on a social level. I think it's a place where you're going to go in and maybe do TED Talks on, on wealth and money management, etc. So I think these spaces will be social. Again, I think they become theatre sets because they're going to have to adapt to the activity that's going to be in hand. So do I think the physical branch is dead? No, but I think it's a lot less of them and I think its purpose will change dramatically. There will be banking, but it may not be the sole purpose you go in for in the future. So we're going to ask the what I call the reverse crystal ball question. Uh, we're all going to be sitting on the Weekly Take podcast five years from now looking back, and we're going to say, boy, we got this right, and man, we got this wrong. But Dennis, first, I applaud you for actually acting, making decisions today, and changing your footprint uh, in the absence of perfect information. But maybe we'll start with you, Dennis. Looking back five years from now, what do you think is going to be the area you're most certain about, and what area do you think is most in flux? I think the one general consensus we're going to have is we acted too slow. I think, uh, you know, whether it's the bank or whether it's uh, our colleagues around the world, I think uh, the, the expectation of our children is that we, we aren't acting quick enough. Uh, and I speak to my 16-year-old daughter every day about things like this. And, you know, her view is we're, we're dinosaurs uh, and therefore we don't act quick enough. So I think that the, the, where I would go is in five years' time, we're going to look back and say we didn't move quick enough. We could have gone faster uh, and I guess my, my urge would be we have to do that. And I think we have to do that in particular with our landlords. I think our landlords need to start thinking about anticipating the future. Uh, uh, to me, the word amenity is not a big enough word in the, in the language of our landlords. They need to start providing amenity because in order for me to get my customers back in the space, they're going to need to be providing amenities. So um, I think the experience agenda is going to be key. Offices will have to start operating like hotels. Uh, you're going to need technology to give you confidence that the space is there when you need it, that the technology is there when you need it. 
and, and the technology is also important to make sure that the, the people that you want to be with when you get to the office are there as well. So understanding who's in the office in the future is important. So I think we'll look back and I think we, we will say that technology actually accelerated as a result of COVID and that was a real positive. But I think uh, the general reaction will be we, we, we went too slow. We weren't brave or courageous enough. Julie, same question to you, the reverse crystal ball. Looking back, what are you most confident we're going to get right? What are you most concerned we uh, may have missed the mark? So I'm most confident that we are going to get right the fact that we have to design our spaces and places to be human-centric. I think that is finally a light bulb that has dawned, and it is one that we will never look back on and say it was a wrong decision. I think that it will only become stronger and more of a firm directive for companies. What I think we will look back on and surprise ourselves is I'm I'm also going to go Dennis with the sort of technology route, but I think that we continually underestimate how much advances in technology change the way that we interact with the world. And I think that we are yet again doing it in terms of real estate. I can't tell you, you know, how many times I will be on the phone with people that are a little bit uncertain about this flexible world that we're moving into and sort of say, well, Zoom fatigue is real and people can't operate over Zoom all the time. And I think that there are going to be very real technologies that are going to allow us to interact across borders in between the physical and digital world in a much more real, powerful way. Um, And between that and also just general advancements in the built environment and technology, I think it is going to completely change in a great way. But I think we're underestimating the change that will take place in terms of how that creates our own interaction with the built environment. So that's what I think we're underestimating right now. Manish, uh, final word for you. Looking back five years from now, what are you most confident we got right? Where do you have the greatest uh, concern that we might be uh, jumping the gun? Spencer, think about this. The four of us getting together a year or two back and talking about real estate uh, would have been so much more focused on on the built environment or the physical real estate. Uh, And I think uh, we are going to be looking back and saying, uh, that aligning all the elements that make forward planning, you know, future-proofing a company uh, great through real estate, people, technology, experience, all, all these things that have been spoken about today, and Dennis has spoken about experience multiple times. Uh, and, and these are all foundations of the agile, you know, real estate business will come true and will happen. I feel very confident about that. But the part that worries me, Spence, is also sort of built into this answer, which is uh, really around the decision-making around all of this coming together. If you think about it, this needs, you know, the buy-in of very, very, you know, a diverse set of people within the company. And, you know, Julie spoke about this, you know, the sustainability folks in most companies work in a silo. Uh, But these decisions uh, will need, you know, it's not a corporate real estate decision anymore. You'll need, you know, a whole bunch of execs coming together. And that's the part that concerns me. Are companies, you know, making the transition fast enough to bring the right people to bring all of this together? Well, I love that. And now I'm going to ask one more question to you, Dennis. I forgot to ask you the most important question. Um, Since uh, Standard Charter sponsors the Liverpool Football Club, uh, will the Liverpool Football Club be the premier league champions in uh, 2022? Of course. Thank you very much. I knew that was coming. But on behalf of the Weekly Take, I want to thank our friend and client, Dennis McGowan. The Global Head of Real Estate for Standard Chartered Bank for joining us. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been fun. 
I then want to thank our friend and fourth or maybe fifth time joiner, Julie Whalen, the global leader of our occupier research practice. Julie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Spence. And then last but not least, our friend and colleague, Manish Kashyap, the global head of A&T Services Agile, uh, based in Singapore, second time showing up on the show. Hope to see you here a third time, Manish. Thank you, Spence. I'm looking forward to moving up uh, on that ladder of a number of times back on your show. Well, Julie's got you so far, but we'll see if we can do that. And Dennis, we certainly hope to have a repeat from you as well. For more on our show, on our guests, and the topic of Agile Space, check out cbre.com slash the weekly take. You can also find other content we referenced in our conversation, including CBRE's 2021 U.S. Occupier Sentiment Survey, which was led by our guest, Julie Whalen. And make sure to join us for more great guests and informative conversations in the weeks to come. We'll have a mid-year outlook with the always insightful Richard Barkham, along with fellow CBRE thought leaders Henry Chin, and once again, Julie Whalen, all back by popular demand. Before that, however, we have another face-to-face conversation coming up next week, a really interesting one as we visit the forward-thinking community of Lake Nona in Orlando, Florida. We'll talk live, work, play, and developers' aspirations to compete in sectors such as tech and life sciences, which happens to be the subject of an upcoming CBRE report as well. So keep an eye out for that, and definitely take the trip with us. For now, feel free to drop us a note with your feedback. And whether you found us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another platform, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.